All right, welcome back. We are Film Buffs, and today it's just me and Jono, and we're going to talk about Jojo Rabbit. Jono, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. (laughs) Yeah, it is good. Uh, Unfortunately, Alex can't make it. He's busy working away, so we're going to hopefully do a good job. Which is a good thing, to be working away. Yes, it is, especially at a time like this. That is correct. We are currently in very strange times. As they've Indeed. been saying. Yes. John and I just had a two and a half hour preamble discussing the current situation. But maybe we won't get into that for this podcast. That's for another podcast, yeah. Maybe we yeah. can watch Pandemic and then we can draw oh, some God. parallels. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I don't think we should do that at all. I'm surprised that that movie's getting... Uh, that people are willing to watch that movie during a time like this and just... Uh, <laughs> inflate their fears well it's very suspicious to me that 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 came out right before we all went into lockdown well there's been multiple pandemic stuff pop up on netflix prior to this there was a whole documentary on it as well as the the film uh pandemic which was Mm -hmm. uh, or what is it called pandemic i don't think it is is it something else i don't know i just know that it was all over I think it was Pandemic. It was on Netflix. There's for a while, the documentary, right but there's also mm-hmm. the there's a a film, like a drama about it about yeah. a pandemic. But I don't think it's called Pandemic. Anyways, we haven't Anyways. watched it yet. Maybe no, we'll, we'll watch other films. <laughs> Great. Uh, so Jojo Rabbit, how'd you like it? I actually really enjoyed it. I, I I'm a, I was a big fan. I, I it it's it's an interesting film to. Uh, that that took a, a fairly well, not fairly, very serious subject matter and managed mm-hmm. to make a, a how how do you say this? Um, a satire. Well, a satire, but like it had heartwarming elements to it. It had heavy elements to it. Yeah, it was just a very uh, it it uh, it spanned a lot of subject matter and uh, had a lot of. Th- things sprinkled in throughout it that i thought was just interesting that it was a success and as enjoyable as it was because it was definitely heavy but light at the same time yeah it was a very interesting mix of ingredients considering like uh, as you said the subject matter and then just the way that it was able to so successfully shift tone you know you go from comedy very light comedy very funny stuff then to get into the real heavy serious drama and then even incorporate the war stuff they did it very very well yeah, I I was, uh, well, I wasn't. I can't say I was pleasantly surprised by it because I heard a lot of great things about it in the first mm-hmm. place. A lot of people told me to watch it uh, on several occasions, and I was uh, very. I had very high expectations, and I would say that uh, it the trailer set the tone for me in a, in a sense. But uh, I I did enjoy the the actual viewing of the film as well. Yeah, so I was pretty stoked about it. Do you yeah. know of another movie? that has been able to satirize this time period i'm i there's a That's part of a me trick question there's a part <laughs> of me that well i there's a part of me that thinks that there is i'm just it's just not coming to mind yeah i've been trying to think of that for the last few days as well because it's, it's just such a a rare thing to be able to satirize such sensitive subject matter in such a positive and successful way yeah, and I know there, there was um, Life is Beautiful, the Italian film, in which the 
the dad goes they go to the the concentration camp and the dad speaks german and is forced to translate and he just in order to keep his son positive and, and try and shield him from the horror of what's going on every time he's forced to translate the german into italian he just makes something up so it becomes a game for his son the whole concentration camp process hmm. so I, but that's not exactly a satire even though there's some sort of satirical elements to it but that's the only other film that i can really think of that there's a whole film in that kind of genre i think that the successful part of this film in that genre is that they i want to say this in a in a way that makes sense but is also um smart (laughs) 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 observational is that they take the uh the the absolute evil in it which the 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 representation of evil but he is just the evil character hitler and just breaks him down to an imaginary character this kind of it, it just it makes it makes the worst of the worst the lightest of the lightest and almost like the most like stupid and hilarious and strange at the same time. Like it's just Hitler's his imaginary friend that immediately just like makes him into this joke uh, right yeah. out of the gate. And in a way that's like, yeah, like it, it's almost, it takes the, it, you're pointing the finger and laughing at the person that you, that's the most evil. And like, it, it's, it just, it disarms it a little bit more Mm-hmm. Um, and makes it a little bit more it it still has a seriousness to it but it also is extremely funny in how much it's lightened up i guess you know? yeah so i to me it's a very interesting concept and to to do that to make i guess someone who we consider in the 21st century the um the epitome and the embodiment of evil mm-hmm. to make him an imaginary character so I've been trying to figure out, at least puzzle out a little bit of what that can mean. And I think for me, you can kind of take away the fact that like this evil idea, um, or sorry, the hate that comes out of somebody like Hitler, we still see it today in some aspects of society. So there's an idea, I think, working that it's like, yes, it's an external force, right? And It's an external thing because the kid is in the Hitler youth. So there's external qualities to it, but it's also very much imaginary, right? It's created by internalizing these ideas, other people's ideas. So then to like show Hitler as conversing with the kid in these ridiculous conversations, kind of, am I making sense? Is that working? No, no, that, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it also it also kind of gives that up you and... it also kind of gives you a perspective on to a certain extent how how an ideology can grow for an individual when you idolize something so ridiculous at the yeah. same time. So it, it 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 I guess it in a way it just it highlights what the problem was to a certain extent. I don't want to go I don't want to just distill this down to something so simple, but on an individual level, the glorification of a uh, of a character that is essentially is growing the ideology in his mind 
for mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. You know. But also many other things happen throughout. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about the film is uh Jojo's obsession with the Jews and every time he brings it up to somebody outside of his world, his immediate house, the response that they keep giving him, I don't know if you picked this up, but they kept saying him, there's more important things, Jojo. Did you pick that up? Uh, yes, I did, actually. Yeah, even his instructor in the Hitler Youth, which I thought was, I thought that was... Sam Rockwell. Sam, yeah, Sam Rockwell. He was hilarious. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, everybody kind of brushes that off. But yeah. he, he's, uh, as he's working it out so like yeah. so vehemently yeah like it's i guess if you put yourself in his in his position right it's like this little detail that you're supposed to hate somebody for just the fact that they're jewish or different the rest of the world looks at you even the people who are supposed to support you and they're still telling you there's more important things than focusing on that so i thought that was a, a nice little like i don't know interplay i guess in the film, yeah, that's interesting. I did notice that, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't really pull that out too much. It is very funny, like they do brush that off, but it seems like such an important thing. Um, yeah, from a historical sense, it's like it's obviously mm-hmm. the, the major, like horrifying event, uh, if, of World War Two. But I guess in t- in a certain sense, like there were a lot of other things going on to have characters basically feel justified in saying that but also for hitler it's obviously a big it was a big thing he yeah yeah like so and and jojo takes that on but everybody else is kind of like yeah it's part of it but we got we got this over here so let's not yeah 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 you know all that type stuff so it does it does kind of like it's kind of like the distracting aspect but it ultimately it leads joe to jojo to shift perspective his his focus on it so very much ultimately allows him to and his interaction with the, the jewish girl um i forget the character's name it's been two weeks since i watched the film <laughs> we i accidentally watched it first instead of star wars so i've i've got some distance but um but the, it he's just like so focused on it and working through it whereas no the other aspect of it is nobody else is everybody's just yeah. kind of blindly going along with it whereas jojo's like He's taking it on. He's like he's trying to live this thing, and mm-hmm. that's the most important thing. And eventually, it's like he it that focus allows him to break it down and shift his perspective. Whereas no one else is actually giving it that time. They're kind of just like blindly going along with all the yeah. other things they have to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you, I guess the idea there, right, is like if you take the fear of the other and everything that you've been taught to hate about somebody um, and you see them and you just take their ridiculous notions at face value but then you start to converse with somebody and you start to actually get to know somebody you realize how quickly those prejudices and, and preconceptions just melt away because they don't hold up and they don't make any sense at all yeah right yeah exactly which it yeah. so that that was one thing I guess about yeah, that's obviously one of the more serious components of it, but it was interesting how they managed to pepper in that with, 
I wouldn't say pepper it in, I guess, but it was a made, both were major ingredients, the comedy and the seriousness and mm-hmm. of the situation that kind of made for a, a very, um, a, a, a good result in the end, as far as like a film goes. Um, cause at the beginning, like you, like the other thing too, is like establishing right away, like that this is a comedy and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when he's running down the street, just like how Hal Hitlering everybody in like oh, the most flippant so way. Funny. It's almost like a limp wristed yeah. like Hal Hitler. It's like a musical, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just like it's it's just so lazy and just like mm-hmm. yay woo and like running down the yeah. street and it's just like taking this very serious thing and just mm-hmm. immediately like sim- like in a in a very symbolic way, just like having it just like so cavalier like. Yeah. Like how Hitler, how Hitler, like all this, like it's 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 <laughs> hilarious to watch in that it's fashion, and it, it it's just like, but it immediately establishes like the comedic and the styles of comedy too. Like mm-hmm. it has these, it has these like very clever, um, kind of setups and punchlines, like, but it also has this incredible slapstick component to it as well, like. Yeah the genres of comedy kind of started to um they they kind of started to blend together in a way that's like slapstick's kind of like ah like sometimes treated like that by the audience but i thought like it was a perfect balance of a variety of different styles of comedy like the german shepherds thing uh and hitler jumping out the window like these just like very airplane-esque zucker brothers style comedy moments yeah that were just so well used, uh, but also in a way that was like sparingly, uh, yeah. but also very clever comedy as well. I think the the German Shepherd bit was one of my favorite bits of the movie. It was hilarious because <laughs> they didn't cut it. I don't think they cut into close-ups. They did it in a full head to toe. Yeah, the camera just it tracks was wide, by, yeah. and you hear the guy go, "I asked." for german shepherds not a group of german shepherds i was <laughs> talking about the dogs <laughs> but it's like the other thing too is what's he's even like better yeah. is that he owns his mistake he's like you know what that's my fault i should have been more clear yeah like, that was so brilliant but that's also an interesting thing like you have this character that you think is going to be your he's going to be your villain throughout the film and progressively mm-hmm. so and he has these moments of like He's a jerk. He's disrespectful to Jojo's mom, um, but also like really uh, like like. Well, I don't want to say he's kind of a little bit like hitting on his mom and like all that type stuff, or like clearly like I, I don't know what it was, but uh, like he's he's just kind of got this interesting dynamic. But like he has these very forgiving moments as like this person you perceive as the villain, like in comedically so. And it's the German Shepherd scene where he's just kind of like when he does own his mistake. Yeah, it's just this very like. There's this aspect of just like courtesy among them that's just, as characters, this politeness, despite the yeah. fact that they're supposed to be in this like horrible group of like doing these horrible things <laughs> as Nazis, but they're also just yeah. kind of very like, like they're they're redeeming care they're redeemable characters at the same Absolutely. time, and they allow the characters to be redeemable as well, particularly. Yeah. Um, uh, what was his name again? I'm sorry, I forget. Sam Rockwell's character. We just go by actor's name. Yes, Sam Rockwell. <laughs> yeah. 
They'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, you'll know. Our audience is smart. We don't talk down to them. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, I well, we're we're okay. We get it a little bit. Yeah. We're not uh, professionals. One of my favorite scenes is when they, uh, <laughs> is when they come to the door, and he goes, "Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler," and they do the Heil Hitler to everyone <laughs> in the group. <laughs> And every time somebody walks in, they repeat that. So they just Heil Hitler every single person. Yeah. I thought that was so brilliantly funny. It was very interesting. It's almost yeah. like, uh, <laughs> it's almost like it was just like, we just want to use this as much as possible because they just like completely overdo it and completely just take all the weight out of it. Um, yeah. It, it, that's and exactly what they did right out of the film at the beginning of the film. But also like you kind of, you're laughing at it, it's like, because it's like, oh, this is kind of heavy, I guess. It's like they're really making light of this uh, very, like, very distinctive um, symbol in history. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it effectively allowed the film to do its thing uh, and deal with serious subject matter and allow the characters to um, resolve some of these ideologies and shift away from them. Uh, in a yeah. way that allowed for it to be funny, but also very, like, dealing with that subject matter at the same time. Yeah, and what was so cool is, is that they they only satirize the the evil side of it, right? They never make fun or touch or disrespect the results and the, the victims of of those actions. Right. This is true. And uh, yeah, so that that's why I think it, it's handled so tastefully because they don't make light of the actual fact that of what the, the ideologies resulted in. They just make fun of the people who did them, essentially. Yeah, even, uh, yeah, like, no. that mo- I, I really enjoyed the initial, like, Hitler youth training. Uh, it was a stuff. great sequence. It was a really good sequence. <laughs> I found the I've I actually kind of liked how uh, I don't know if you feel this way about it I I may maybe I'm just like a little bit critical of accents in films, but I kind of loved the the even the laziness, uh, but also like not laziness but just kind of like the German accent is always kind of like a little bit there, but the actors mm-hmm. are kind of like not really like fully german they're like a little bit kiwi a little bit american <laughs> like it, it's just like except yeah. for i i'd say like maybe scarlett johansson like she's probably the most like on point actor but uh as far as that goes i guess but like everybody kind of just had this like even how the actors kind of delivered it was like german in their own way <laughs> German enough. <laughs> it was just German enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah. There's a bit with Rebel Wilson where she's standing there. It's just like, I have 18 children for the right yeah, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. Yeah. She was I probably guess the only one time I've favorites. ever enjoyed her on screen. I'd say I've enjoyed her a lot in certain films. But yeah, like this was definitely um, my one of my favorite performances i like when i like when an actor that's been uh like a comedy actor and they kind of have this i don't know they they they're just they they are a comic relief in other films but like this one they're just used for that punchline in like just the way that they're 
skilled in. You know, I thought she yeah, was well I liked utilized. That, yeah, I'd say that that's very accurate. I like that she was a supporting character. Yeah. And yeah. And I thought Scarlett Johansson did a great job playing her character as well. Uh Sam Rockwell was great. And that kid, man, the little kid was amazing. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he did a really good job. That uh, that scene at the end where sh- the girl is still in the cupboard and the war is over and he tells her that they lost the war and you get that close-up of him and you, you realize in his eyes what he's going through. Like He's imagining, I'm going to lose this girl that I love but also my only real friend in the world. Mm-hmm. So I have to lie to her in order to try and keep what I what I want. Like, I thought that was just so well done from the writing perspective, but I thought the kid did such an amazing job. Yeah, I'd agree. He did a, it was a very good delivery. Yeah. I thought that, um, well, we're jumping right to the end of the film there, but that was a really good way, uh, an excellent way for him to show that emotion, that, that, uh, that, he actually had changed the way he thought about her mm-hmm. her value in basically doing whatever he could despite the negative aspects of it the selfish nature of it to keep her in the the attic or in this the hidden the hidden clo- uh hidden room yeah like the pain that that brought to her represented for her for him to want to preserve that at like just so he could talk to her and keep that relationship in general that it was just an interesting thing to go from like hating so much documenting it in his little little book Mm -hmm. to basically doing something very selfish and not really nice to keep her around yeah yeah the weight of that is very interesting yeah it really was what's so crazy about the the drawings that he comes up with like those are those are all real ideas I think those are all historical drawings and representations of, from the time. How so? Like the idea is that, uh, remember when they find the book of his, how to identify a Jew? What did they call it? Um, what was the name on the book? It was like a sneezing joke, wasn't it? A Jew it sounded like a chew. Uh, right, yes. I think that was yeah. the... Damn it, I should have watched this again recently. Yeah, I should have rewatched the... it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think but you're the, right, though. Those drawings, yeah, they were all very real. And the, remember uh, Stephen Marshamp's character? The he goes, "Oh yes, it's funny because it's true." Yeah, as he's looking through this and talking about like the mind control, it's like the devil is controlling the Jew's mind. Like all that stuff is is very real. Right, they were actual concepts that were pushed. Yeah, that were basically believed at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the propaganda that was created about them was nuts. And again, to successfully make a comedic moment that was a really interesting scene because uh, obviously it was horrible but at the Mm -hmm. same time you you success they successfully can this is why yeah this is again why i thought it was so interesting is that you you have such empathy for the jewish girl in that situation and like being basically having to deal with that the stress but also just oh, like she's, the, she's fighting for her life and she's that fighting scene. for her life but like the disgusting hatred that's happening mm-hmm. and the mockery 
um, and all of that mixed in with this, like these child's drawings of these horrifying real concepts Yeah, that were, that are humorous in um, depiction, humorous in illustrative style, but awful in reality. Um, And you feel the sense of reality, but you also can like, you can, I, I don't I want to say this right. You can you It's can, a tricky film to talk about. It is a tricky <laughs> film to talk about. Yeah, I didn't I, I thought that before coming into this, but at the same time like I the, as I try to say these things out loud, it's yeah, you're you're the the I couldn't imagine what it would be like to write a film like this. But there's there's this kind of like innocent comedy in that scene um that's contrasted with realistic horrific ideas that Mm -hmm. cause severe pain so at the same time but you feel both of those emotions yeah um and both of them are interesting because they have a certain um you can understand either side i don't want to say it in that way but you can understand like one person really believes this and 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 they're making light of it and it's a joke to them and you can understand that aspect uh just because of how they're communicating and then you have this kind of like the illustrative style again is there and it kind of is like haha that's funny but this is also extremely heavy and extremely awful at the same yeah. time so to be able to convey those feelings it's like such a mixed emotion of feelings that it's mm-hmm. just it's just very i think that's the the success of this film is that it balanced comedy and horrible stuff at the same time and you actually walk away with like you think about it deep more deeply i think mm-hmm. yeah because so w- again what's so interesting is that it's like there's these grown men looking at this child's book and they're laughing because they actually believe what this child has written is true yeah and it shows like the to me it like illustrates the the absolutely insane nature of racism right there's such childish and primitive and and outlandish ideas that you could that somebody could be this different you know like they're mind controlled by satan and they do all these things and they're like rats and blah 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 like it's just so stupid yeah but it's nonsense it is it's absolute nonsense and it's almost like the childlike people sorry go on the the horror of it is that people and adults still believe it Mm -hmm. it's the despite the obvious insanity of it it's the childlike following just like whatever i'm told mm-hmm. kind of thing it's this uh um lack of <laughs> um laugh of, lack of a reason essentially it, it yeah. Uh, uh, yeah that's an interesting point because it really does kind of it highlights the stupidity of of racism in that entire scene because it's uh, yeah it, it they're praising this um they're they're praising these obviously stupid ideas yeah and i think that's what it comes down to right like you 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 can never really truly 
justify racism in any sense. No. Right? Like, nobody is like that. Nobody, uh, yeah, like, it's such a stupid thing to do, honestly. And let's be, I know Alex isn't here right now, and it has nothing to do with the fact that he's Mexican, but uh, if we believe things like that, we wouldn't have this podcast with him now, would we? <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> But I never really thought of it like that. <laughs> oh, I only think of Alex as a Mexican. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, well, he's in Colombia now, isn't he? That's true. But that, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> it's tectonically active as well down there. Yeah. That's not why he's missing the podcast today, though. No, no, he's fine. No buildings have fallen on him. Just to clarify, Alex is fine after the last podcast. We all knew that, though, if you listen all the way through. He did come back, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you dropped off <laughs> before, if you dropped up before, before that happened, I, I just, we need to clarify <laughs> that Alex is not, he's still with us. It's, it's okay. Anyways, yeah, um, yeah that, that's a very good point, and that it's, yeah, the, the, the highlighting of the stupidity, I think we've said this a few times, and just like the flippant nature of like how they handle all of it, it just kind of makes mm-hmm. it. It doesn't make it doesn't make light of it. I guess it does, but it it, it just makes it silly. It's like it, yeah. it takes this these ideas of horrific racism, horrific historical events, and it says the ideas that the ideas that manifested them are absolutely illogical stupid and they they stem from Mm -hmm. they stem from nothing (laughs) of reason um yeah and i guess it makes you think because like if you as an audience member can sit and laugh at that then you have to really examine yourself for any traces of that inside of you right if you want to be a whole person I, i like this film for a lot of reasons but um i was very much reminded of uh a film that Alex and I made in film school. Uh, we did a film called Frankenfuhrer, and the idea was that there was a, a German scientist, and this is back in 2012, who resurrects Hitler's body, and he comes into 2012 with the same ideas and the same mindset that he had in 1933, or 1945, I guess, when he killed himself. And the idea is that he learns about the world and he's so depressed at the state of things because they're so different from what he thinks the world should be that he kills himself again. Uh, but I think what we were, we were getting at in that film is that the comedy works in two ways, right? Like we look backwards and we think how ridiculous that person was, right? But then he would look forward and think how ridiculous and wrong we are. So there's a bit of a like a check and a balance i guess in how we look at history because at one time we think we're right and then another time we think we're we think how how wrong we were right and that's the the cycle of history yeah yeah but that was one of my my favorite films to make alex and i actually became friends over that film uh the, the idea was we had a set and we had to write a script to suit the set and then I can't remember exactly how it came about, but Alex and I both wanted to do a Nazi film. And I went home that night, and I came up with this idea of resurrecting Hitler. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's similar in that like, we have 
you know, we got to do a ridiculous representation of a really, truly evil character. I think I've seen that before. I can't remember. I think you showed it to me at Alex's place. Yeah, it's very possible. But On New Year's Eve, actually, I think. But... Yeah, to make uh to make light of to make light of him as a a character definitely makes it a bit more of an approachable film, I guess. Mm. Um but yeah, these ideas that obviously were that stemmed out of that um yeah, it's uh, it is interesting how they handled that. Um but also just how they handled uh the leaders in the in the role like uh, I really enjoyed I don't know. In the in the end, like a lot of the <laughs> how easily a lot of those people, those characters, kind of abandoned um, that that line of thinking. And like uh, the I keep forgetting his name. I'm sorry, Dan. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. My goodness, <laughs> he's like my he's a he's an actor I've always liked, but I've just never. Yeah. I always forget his name. I don't know why. But just yeah, his his abandonment of those ideas and even the sa- self-sacrificing nature of him in the end, yeah, to uh, in walking away from that, which I thought yeah. was uh, like so people. Well, I mean, there is an exception of uh, an acceptance of his actions, and you know, he's an alcoholic throughout, and he's he's had a history with the SS and everything like that, and you can tell that there's a deep dissatisfaction in that character Mm -hmm. with his life and the choices that he's made that's led him there. Well, also he doesn't get, he doesn't have the career success that he had hoped of. Right. It's kind of a bit of a flop, right? Yeah. I causes him to basically be put into this situation where he's training the Hitler youth. Is that uh, if I remember correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It's a trivial thing, I think, but just the, the character all the way through, has this dissatisfaction but then there's the i love the scene where he shows him drawings of the uniform mm-hmm. his ideal uniform and it's like this obviously gay and flamboyant character but it, it sort of s- suggests that even though he's had that history there's still an imagination that's looking beyond and further than the situation and i like that in the character and then you see the very nice redemption at the end when uh he goes to the firing squad, right? And then he tears the the jacket off of Jojo, essentially stripping him of that identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, taking it for himself. And then he goes and, and, and gets killed for it, which I thought was a great character arc. Right. It was a great character arc. He takes on um, Jojo's essentially guilt. Guilt and yeah. carries that. Yeah, and it's kind of a nice, a nice symbolic, like, uh, I guess you could say um, a cleansing of the next generation, right? Yeah. Because there's that idea, you know, of generational guilt or whatever, and he's he's being stripped of it. He's being stripped of the responsibility mm. and is dying with Sam Rockwell. I also find it, do you think it's interesting, like his, he essentially takes his own, um, his own take on the uniform is all it's well, it's non-uniform. It's almost like he's, it's a performance. It's more of like a, 
coming mm, into yeah his, that's an interesting idea it's coming into his own and he's like he's he's doing it his way and always kind of wanted to and he's just kind of embracing something other than what <laughs> he's been told to embrace like it's very much for him like he he's uh, he's obviously he wants to have served but for what purpose yeah what glory is he trying to pursue in that and it's mm. obviously for different reasons than he's probably trained or taught to he's kind of developed his his own take on what it means to to enter into battle and serve right and yeah. uh it's it's well beyond <laughs> uniform so to speak I, and I, well it's an interesting idea too because the the nazis are so very very particular in their uniforms right and they've I mean, let's be honest, they're the best dressed army in the 20th century. You know, they had the, the Hugo Boss tailored clothes and everything like that. Um, but also, the I guess the idea of, like, being flamboyant, and, and you said the performance aspect of the uniform, it kind of hints at, like, there's a performance aspect of being part of the group. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he's an actor in this, but he's there's a sense of pretending in yeah. order to fit, I guess. And then I don't know. I'm just guessing at this idea right now, but, but it does seem like that's kind of what's happening. And it's, and that's yeah, ultimately why he's able to take on the uniform again, like, or, or strip Jojo of it and essentially take that from him. Cause it's, hmm. he never really, <laughs> I don't know if if this is too far to say, but like never really believed it in the sense, or at least he realizes that that wasn't what he fully believed. Yeah, he he had greater principles, and I and I guess like he it's so easily he's able to let it go for the right reasons. Yeah, well, I've read a bit about the movie, and I know that the character is essentially a homosexual character. So if you take that idea, he's already an outsider in the film, right? He's already pretending to be something he's not because the Nazis were very much against homosexuals. Right. Yeah. So he's kind of there when he shouldn't be. He's in a position that he is hiding in plain sight, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then he comes out at the climax of the film. Yeah, with with the with the costume but the one of my favorite bits is is he's showing jojo his sketches for his costumes and he goes look at these boots those are just for show <laughs> it's like there's no there's no utility to them yeah. it's like that which is so brilliant but the the timing of of revealing him as as that type of character was just very well done as well like it was such a slow uh re- well it's not it's not overt no right? it's not no, yeah like, overt homosexuality in him no, it's which a, is why it's very it subtle. Works, even even to the point yeah. when he actually comes out into battle and does that uh, mm-hmm. and, and reveals his uniform, it's still, it's it's flamboyant. It's very loud, but it's also at the same time, um, it doesn't entirely feel out of place. It feels entirely appropriate for the character to do it. Yeah. Um, and it, it still is just kind of, 
it, it's it's still it still has hints of just like he's always wanted to have this self-expression in this glorious battle scene but also at the same mm-hmm. time he's just taking it to another level uh yeah. very personal level <laughs> and almost just like stepping out and just being like this is my moment and uh, yes yeah 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 it's it's very <laughs> It was. It was very, very well childlike timed. in the uniform too, in the whole presentation of it, right? That he's like, that's kind of what we do as as kids, right? We we imagine and we we draw ourselves as these idealized versions, and he's creating these various costumes and sketching to make them himself out as well. into this ideal idealized childhood imagination of a soldier. Mm-hmm. I love that. And so, it's, yeah, yeah. Do I, you notice the color palette of this film? I read about the color palette and they're very particular in like choosing the colors and not making this like a drab, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the classic World War II look, right? Where all the colors are really kind of muted and grays and things like that. Mm-hmm. It was, very this was far film. more saturated and warm. Yeah. But also yeah. Uh, the use of, well, obviously reds are the, quite prominent in certain ways. In, mm-hmm. in his uniform as well but in, in obvious in certain areas with the uh, not nazi flags quite red as well but yeah, yeah. I, I did notice the color palette it, it felt very appropriate for the style of film though absolutely i felt yeah it would have been a bit strange to have like a very drab comedy i don't think it would have worked at all no no but uh the idea that they were talking about the production designer was they wanted to show the town as like a you you wanted to see it visually as a child would have these visual memories of home right because this is hometown so they're always going to be vibrant so they went with the the yellows and the greens and the the bright reds and those sort of things i thought it was a great choice mm-hmm. i thought it so never too. feels like it's a bad place no it does feel quite warm and welcoming despite jojo's desire to um push <laughs> Uh, the Jewish girl out of his house, or at least try to figure out a way to appropriately expose yeah. her. We should talk about that a little bit. Uh, Jojo's mm-hmm. relationship to his mom and uh, the the girl as well. Yeah. Um, what what you, would you like to talk about? Well, I guess. Uh, how did you feel about how they the reveal of like his mom bringing uh, like. Because obviously, like, there's a there's this. She's sticking to the way things are supposed to be. She's living her this ideology, but then we slowly realize that she's completely on the opposite spectrum of it. Yeah. And even she's part she's, of the resistance. She's part of the resistance, and so was her husband, um, mm-hmm. Jojo's father. Obviously, um, I thought that that was pretty well timed as well. Like everything that uh, they the the reveal of all of these types of uh pieces of information were quite interesting and obviously her ultimate demise for it as well yeah that was a that was a powerful scene because you're not really expecting it were you expecting that she she'd be caught no i i wasn't at all she's kind of this uh this beacon of hope throughout the film and i think it's kind of interesting that she ends up being hung from the the gallows yeah, end. I mean, she is such a such a beautiful and bright character yeah. all the way through. She's constantly trying to teach Jojo to you know to dance and to uh, embrace life and enjoy it and, and get over these ridiculous ideologies. But she does it and, in a uh, loving way that's very yeah. like it's 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 very subtle 
to, in a way that she's like still like yeah do your thing she but i don't him want... in the duty yeah and the responsibility but never in the whole wholehearted embracing of it no yeah yeah i thought that she was a i did not expect that and again like the 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 balances of um intensity and hilarity in this film are just mm-hmm. so well done because you're it doesn't allow you to sit in comedy for too long and it doesn't allow you to sit in tragedy for too long um it, it's a it's it's well balanced in that exceptionally well balanced in yeah. that sense and because both of them are all real things to experience and to take away from this film and uh, it, it, that's why I thought it was just so interesting because initially, like I said, dealing with the subject matter is quite heavy, but to mm-hmm. do a comedy, it just sna- it again. It's kind of come buying into this I- ideology aspect of it. It's like it allows you to live in the kind of happy world of like. I'm just doing my thing and that I'm doing, I'm serving my country. And then there's like these snapbacks mm-hmm. to reality. It's like, no, this is messed up. This is like, yeah, um, it's way bigger than you. It's so much bigger than that. Yeah. And it's, it's just kind of, it allows you to be tricked almost, um, yeah. by the entertainment, the fun nature of the film. And then just like yank you out of that, you know, like there's somebody who's suffering in this situation, locked up, hidden, who's trying to defend mm-hmm. themselves and work that out. And then, then you have all, you have real world consequences of being involved in that resistance through Jojo's mom. Um, but again, there's this lighthearted, fun, comedic and ridiculous nature to the film as well. That kind of allows it to, you to see everything in a new, in a light that's very interesting. Yeah. How great was the scene where they're having dinner and Jojo yells, like, I want my father. And then she goes, you want your father? And she goes and gets the soot and rubs it on her face and then plays both parts. Hmm. How great was that? (laughs) That was really nice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, because we talked about this a bit before our podcast in terms of how you view parents, right? And in that moment, you you hear the husband's voice say, she's doing the best she can. Do you remember that? It's vaguely. This is two weeks. <laughs> well, that's that's the essence of the scene, right? Like, Jojo's mad at his mother for not being who he wants her to be. And then she goes into the, converse, the two-sided conversation and says, cut her some slack. You know, she's doing the best she can. And that's, I think, an important thing. In, in childhood development is to realize that your your parents aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a good scene, actually. I, I, I do remember it. Yeah. And then she ends up, again, dancing with him. He gets up on the chair, so she's the right height. Right. Yeah. What do you... Uh, did you find, uh, stylistically, that this film was... I found it interesting because it had a lot of different vibes to me, but uh, it had a very Wes Anderson Wes Anderson style way of shooting it. 
like the, but the it symmetry also, and the color palette and everything. It had that symmetry. It had that color palette, but it also deviated from it in other ways as well. Did you? Th- what did you think of that? Did it? Did the? Did the notes of Wes Anderson take away from it, or do you felt like? Did you feel like it was something that helped? Helped the comedy, or almost um. re reimagined it a little bit because i kind of felt that it did it kind of it felt more it 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 felt like it took on a style of it that was familiar but also its own well i mean i'll get you to explain that a little more but i've never been the biggest fan of of wes anderson i like a few of his works but I, i get tired of it quite quickly and i definitely didn't get tired of this and to me wes anderson is very much the the deadpan one-off joke, but this one, it definitely wasn't a deadpan comedy. No. So. And that's why I think it was it, the tones of the West and it had that kind of dry cause Wes Anderson's often quite dry. I actually mm-hmm. am not like, I don't mind Wes Anderson, but I'm not like a, a fanatic, like, or like I, he's not like one of my favorite filmmakers, Yeah, uh, but I did like that, that it kind of had these kind of like, you get that, it was interesting that this style was used in kind of the dry aspects of the comedy or it ha- it had that kind of Wes Anderson dry style but also like I said earlier it goes into these other genres of like more slapstick and just like really out there style comedy and I also feel like the f- the s- it deviates from that uh Wes Anderson style in certain areas like it doesn't always feel very Wes Anderson but it kind of has notes of that and there's a certain innocence to that kind of like everything is set up perfectly in the shot and it feels yeah. very symmetrical that almost mm-hmm. works throughout the film in the sense that like everybody's trying to fit into this box and they're do it felt more appropriate yeah. outside of just like it didn't feel like Wes Anderson it felt appropriate for what was going on in the film and that yes. like the Hitler youth are trying to fit this this role but also the film isn't entire doesn't always feel symmetrical anyways it kind of goes back to more traditional framing and shots and stuff like that it didn't always feel that way which i thought was kind of an interesting thing it felt like it was used appropriately not just for yeah. style it it was used in, absolutely it was used in ways that felt like you know you could you, it it related you to what was going on for the characters and what they're doing as in the sense yeah, of it's, following it's, order the term is um, it's form matching content. So the style of the film matches the emotional content of the film. And you can you can take that further in that like when you're a child, everything is very black and white for you. It's very symmetrical. It's, it's right and wrong. And uh, so you do see that a lot in the camera styles and the symmetry of the shots and everything. And the color palette, um, a lot of primary colors, a lot of simple... Uh, um, yeah, like it reflects that simplicity of of his mind, mm-hmm. and then I guess it's essentially it's a coming of age film in that he's learning to live in the gray. Right. Yeah. What did you think of the significance of the knife passing hands so often? Him lose him uh, him losing his knife to uh, the girl and uh, the the um, the soldiers coming into his place and emphasizing the importance of not losing the knife 
Yeah, well, I think there's a there's probably some sort of underlying, um, what is it, uh, emasculation going on there, because he thinks he's this big tough man, and he keeps getting his knife taken away by a girl. Um, so it could be happening, but I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know it's significant, but I haven't given it too much thought. So what do you think? I it's something I like. I I kind of noticed through. Uh, well, the knife carries through a lot of scenes mm-hmm. and ultimately is end, uh, ended up using being used um and against her so it, it's it's this tool that she turns against him and it's almost like she flips she and throughout the film she flips a lot of stuff of his, uh, of his ideas on him yeah um mm-hmm. and essentially turns the turns the knife on him as well but never uses them in a way that's like actually uh actually harmful um and ultimately he ends up stabbing her um in the end and she doesn't actually retaliate either she Mm. just kind of takes the takes the blow the and the pain and just like forgives the action and that's also a big the the knife has like kind of been this like back and forth between them and ultimately it's not used for It it causes hurt, but it doesn't. It's not the final blow. It's not actually used in a way that's that kills. Well, I guess in a sense, like it it represents the hatred that he feels toward Jewish people, or at least the idea that he thinks he believes in, and that it keeps getting taken away from him by someone that he should use it against. But then that that person never uses it against him, never uses hatred against him. Is really a powerful idea, mm-hmm. right? It's the it's the turning the other cheek, which is a Hebrew thought. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting, yeah, yeah. I guess that that's kind of how it works, right? Yeah, but it, that, that his his over or his um his mentor is always like, you should never lose this. You always need to have this on you. So if you always have hate on you, essentially, and it keeps getting taken away from him, yeah, uh, it's kind of a cool thought. But also turned turned on or at least flipped for him and brought into perspective right and she she is in in a way in many cases she's using whenever she's holding the knife in these scenes she's teaching him a lesson and and usually in a way that's like it's it's used to challenge him in ways that Mm -hmm. are very personal and like um they they seem to be very like he's he's having to tackle his own hate which is being like illustrated in a way like she's she's mock she's kind of like dancing around him and like playing with his thoughts and like mm-hmm. she's playing making in- him think she's going to hurt him. yeah and making th- making him think that she's a monster she's she's affirming all of these things in a very sarcastic playful like demeaning but like way but she's she's in a childish way but also in a very um on a mentorish way as well using the tools at her disposal and his di- and that are in his arsenal to actually shift his way of thinking um yeah and uh yeah i just kind of found that interesting and the knife in in many cases is where there's kind of this object in the scene that kind of shows a tr- that it's in the scene when these types of interactions and lessons and are happening and the interesting thing is that they're masked not masked, but packaged in kind of these conventional 
like immature mm-hmm. kind of like older kid, younger kid um, disputes, right? That seem, but yeah. they're actually it's actually very formative for him in like working out his hatred and yeah, and ultimately dissolving it. Yeah, it's awesome. So one of the somebody asked me this the other day, and I want to see what you think. Uh, maybe it's a it's a good place to end. But why this film today? Hmm, that's a really good question, Dan. Well, I think right now it's uh, doesn't feel too soon. <laughs> I guess. Um, well, yeah, but it's like, obviously, is there relevance? Like, what makes this film relevant today? Well, I think this subject matter is always relevant. Um, yeah. In that, uh, you know, racism, hate, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're always kind of, they're these, they're, oh, there's these things, they're these things that are always with every generation and they exist in different forms. Um, for each generation, I guess, right? And it's it's this constant, uh, constant issue that evolves. And but I, it's in it's. I always find these types of films interesting because when you th- just when you think that you figured out what was wrong with that that era, I mean, you you it still can shed light on on uh, on today i guess and this is i guess from a from a kid's perspective it's just kind of interesting to see a kid in a film in a comedy working through this it's almost like yeah we can laugh at this but it's actually still quite a serious thing we're not quite past the point of its its history it's something to laugh at it still carries weight um yeah and uh yeah i think there's i think that's what this film has successfully done is it's and i've reiterated this several times i think but it's the mixture of comedy and um i guess the the interesting thing about this one is it's like it's such a heavy form of racism that has had such a massive impact that will like that will not go away this will live throughout history so it's just kind of interesting that they can make a comedy out of make a comedy based around that and it makes you think about it more seriously while also laughing at it because you realize you're laughing at it so yeah not at it but like you realize you're watching a comedy about one of the most horrifying subjects in human history and to be able to step outside of yourself as an audience member realizing what you're doing in viewing a film of this nature in those genre in that genre it Mm. actually i think is relevant because it allows us to analyze what we're doing as an audience in watching that and think about it more Mm -hmm. deeply yeah well, I think like there's obviously there's so much group think and group hate going on today, right? Like groups get together 
and they hate on other groups and they villainize and demonize other people. Mm -hmm. We see that all over the United States, not just, you know, black and white or whatever, but politically as well. That's just such a constant. And there's this polarity happening. And I think that this film, what's interesting is that at the end, after Jojo learns that Hitler has killed himself, Hitler still comes back, even even with the bullet in his head, and still tries to convince Jojo to hang on to these ideas. So in a sense, it's like, on one hand, it's dead, but at the same time, it's still very much alive. Mm-hmm. And you can't when those it. ideas come up, like, yeah, well, you can't, but you have to essentially do what Jojo does and say, you know, fuck you, Hitler, and kick it out the window. Mm-hmm. Which was so also hilarious. Hilarious, but but poignant, right? I think if you think of it on that level, it's like any time that those ideas come up, you have to know. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to look at them like that. Yeah. Because it's still, even though Hitler's dead, those things are still very much alive and they're still coming back and they're still trying to get at you. And that's the, the old expression, right? Those who do, don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. So that's to me, that that's what a lot of this film could be pointing to. And that's why I said, why today? Well, I I think it's very relevant. And again, it's a, the and yeah, I agree with I agree with that. I think the relevance is definitely in that, but also in the package that this came in. Um, mm-hmm. Because in order for people, I don't and I don't know if like everybody kind of looks at stuff that way, but uh, the way this has been presented. Well, if they did, we wouldn't need me on the podcast, would they? I guess that's right. Yeah, we're that's that's <laughs> what we're here to do is to help the audience see these important <laughs> messages. Uh, it's more than a come. Listen to my wisdom. It's more than a comedy. <laughs> it's and it's funny because like it's not something that's like a huge like in your face thing. It's just like something you, that I as wa- as I watched it came to that I realized how I felt mm-hmm. about watching it, um, which is a yeah. powerful thing. So it's yeah, the package of this film is what I think it allows it it can it has the potential to allow for people to look at this from a not from a different angle from but from a it allows them to look at it through a, from a different orientation i guess of style through style you know it's mm. a it's a more self-analytical because i i felt very self-conscious in watching the film at where i was laughing and what i was laughing about and what it meant to be doing that um and it made me think well, about that's, that. Well, that's the essence of, of comedy, right? Like, that's why we love stand-up comedy so much. is because it essentially holds up a mirror. Mm-hmm. And it says, look at how stupid you are. Look at the way you think. It's pretty dumb. Here's a better, here's a different angle to approach things at, right? Yeah. I thought, so, what did you think, though? Like, because the window is a, is a punchline that was used... Mm-hmm. Obviously, at the end, it kind of has this representation of Jojo throwing his old his old ide- ideologies out the window, and choosing yeah. to do that. But there's also that window is used as a joke with Hitler multiple times. It's his exit, um, mm. and before he's even kind of in the final moment with Jojo deciding what to do with it, like Hitler, his imaginary friend, uses that comedically to exit a scene in a very humorous fashion just to get out of the room but is it 
Does it occur when he's successfully convinced Jojo of something and then he can jump out the window? I can't, I actually can't remember. They, I laughed really, like, I thought it was hilarious because he'd, like, just yeah, at was. one point, just like, up oh, <laughs> and goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. But because but uh, a lot of the time there's a lot of discussion between the two of them. Yeah. And then I think when he jumps out is when Jojo has come around to his line of thought. They've agreed on something. And then it's okay for him to go. Right. I think that's how it works. And so I, maybe that, that plays back into the idea at the end that when you come to reject it and you kick it out, right, that's, I don't know. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Just appease me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it, say no if it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it made sense to me, Dan. Uh, yeah, no, I think I do think. Well, I think in the scene that, I, that I'm thinking of partic- in particular is his, his. He's he's leaving before his mom comes into the room. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the idea, like he's he's speaking with Hitler and he's having this, yeah, interaction. But he also is hiding his. Uh, it's like get out of here before mom sees kind of thing right because i think at that point he he realizes that his mom is kind of maybe not who she who he thinks she is Mm -hmm. so he's but also the idea of his mom is also in in and what his mom stands for is in opposition to hitler Mm -hmm. right so maybe jumping out the window is kind of a response to that lighter force the good the good coming in and and taking center stage right i don't know well i think he's kind of like hiding his own kind of thoughts it's on in that type of scene right like he's kind of just Mm. he's trying to just be (laughs) i don't know just be his mom walks in and just like he converses with her and like his thoughts essentially abandon and he's like, I've not think not nothing none of this is going on right now. I'm just a normal kid yeah. doing my normal thing. If I remember correctly. But I just found it interesting, like the both the window and Hitler are kind of this recurring gag mm-hmm. uh that ultimately is the is, is a representation of his abandonment of his of his ideology. Yeah. But initially not so. I don't know. Well, I mean, what are what do windows symbolize, right? Like Doors are obviously entrances and exits, but like, is there a psychological underpinning to a window? Opportunity. Escape. Maybe. Is the old saying, when God closes a door, a, he opens a window. <laughs> and Hitler jumps through it. <laughs> Hitler can, so Hitler can jump out. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, no, like, because there's a, there's a, I guess you could say, like, there's a framing of a window, right? A window frames an image to the outside world, right? So it's it's essentially a a painting or a picture of something that you are separated from. So maybe this, like, hopping in and out the window has something to do with that idea. Hmm. Almost. And then, like, the shattering of the window at the end, it's like, okay, now you've, you've 
you've broken through that artificial barrier to actually interact with the world rather than just look at it from the the attic or from the 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 home mm. don't know just with thinking out loud maybe we're overthinking maybe we are but i don't maybe think so it's at just the a same great time. gag but if they thought about color yeah, no, palette, nothing in film is accidental yeah. i i always think that like as as and we're doing when we're doing these kind of podcasts and like what how much of what we're talking about is obviously like you know we're just kind of shooting out ideas speculating about this and that i mean like the marvel type films have obvious have created this entire like audience way of communicating and thinking of films that goes yeah. so far beyond but to the point where like filmmakers respond to that and i feel bring more meaning to it but also at the same time like really great filmmakers don't miss opportunities to mm-hmm. use the elements within the frame and the script and the just expressions of characters to convey more of the story and i don't think in this film yeah. like you would dealing with the subject matter that they're dealing with that would th- that they would waste any opportunity but then again like comedy kind of falls out uh, like uh if you've read story by robert uh, mckee i believe his name is it comedy kind of falls into this this style of writing where it's like a scene doesn't necessarily have to f- um serve the story so much as in every scene serve the story obviously it does to a certain extent but like sometimes comedy is just for the sake of comedy um but in this film like i always kind of think like i'm always like maybe there is more meaning to that that gag but then again maybe it's just like i think this will be great at the end for some meaning but meanwhile we'll just kind of use it as a light thing that happens throughout and then we'll make it serious because it makes it more emphatic um, and yeah. maybe that's just it. Maybe like it was just a, a very slapstick, hilarious moment to use it throughout. And I laughed at it. And then at the end, it takes on new meaning. And maybe mm-hmm. that in the end is all it actually was utilized for. So that's possible. D- did uh, did you ever see the movie Shame? No, it's but I've, I've heard uh, McQueen film. so much talk of it from you and Tom, I believe, have mentioned it over the yeah. years. Tom's a friend a, of ours. A... Never been on the podcast. So he's not really a friend, is he? He's not a friend. Jerk. No, we are only friends with people who have been listen. on this podcast. So it's basically just myself, like Alex, and people. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, well, who else has been on the well, podcast? There was Ryan, Ryan Felton. Yes, that's right. And then... Uh, uh, Jordan. Jordan, yes. I feel like we had somebody else on. Friend. Well, we had my friend Tim on for the uh, Crazy Rich Asians episode. Oh, I wasn't there for that episode. No, you weren't. Got replaced. We might have had someone else if you were on. We're considering having yeah. other guests on as well. I've uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We will. We should have. Well, let me get back to. <laughs> let me get back to shame. They uh, they use windows and frame within a frame very intentionally in that movie, and when you break it down, every time you see the character, he's framed inside a doorway or inside a window, or he's looking through a window. Right. Or there's a window behind him, so. It essentially shows that he is imprisoned in this state of mind, in this addiction that he has. So it's it's obviously a very intentional device. Same thing with First Man. We talked about that a lot with Ryan Gosling yeah. uh, about Neil Armstrong. Yeah. It, there's a lot of mm-hmm. 
a lot of frame within a frame doorway especially within their house because that there's kind of this like separation uh of of uh neil armstrong and his wife and they use those and then at the end where they they're he's in quarantine and they're they touch fingers through the glass but as close as they are they're still separate yeah yeah yeah, so so maybe that's forced us to overthink jojo rabbit (gasps) oh No, I don't, I don't think we're necessarily, you know, off track with it. <laughs> I think the idea is is somewhat there. Oh, I right. There's so. a there's a shattering of an ideal. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like that. I think yeah. maybe in the end it takes on new meaning, whereas before it's yeah. more of just like a a comedic trope. Well, hang on, hang on. Like, if somebody is coming through your window, right? They're they're not coming inappropriately. They're not a, an appropriate guest. That's true too. He's jumping out the window. Does he come through the window? Does he enter through the window? Oh yeah. But he definitely but uses the window like... to to come and yeah. to, to go, and that's true. And it it, yeah. it is a, in that sense, it is like he he is a, he's escaping through means. And it, I, even as a, an imaginary friend, that's kind of the funny thing is like there's no reason for this imaginary friend to exit that way. He can just pop in and out of existence, yeah. which he does throughout the film. Um, yeah. but in the, in these instances, yeah, it does kind of, that's a very good point. It does, his thoughts that are represented through Hitler are in certain situations, definitely not, uh, maybe not through Jojo's perception. Um, maybe they're welcome to him, but in the sense that he is starting to recognize it starts happening later in the film that some of these ideas mm. are being challenged and maybe not so welcome. And yeah. maybe a bit ashamed of them. It's kind of like when the you know the uh, if when you're a teenager and your girlfriend is uh, or you are sneaking in and out of a, of your girlfriend's house unwelcome. It's very you're not supposed to be yeah, there. Yeah, there, there's something there's something clandestine about it, right? So maybe yeah. that's the idea is that these ideas are not right. Yeah, maybe that's just a, a visual representation of it. We figured it out. We did it. They're clandestine. Is. You're welcome, Taika Waititi. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's got that <laughs> dialed in and do it. Oh, he's an avid listener. Let me yeah. tell you. I, well, he he, he emailed me, all the me time. Uh, yesterday and he's like, "When are you guys doing my film?" And I was like, "Can you just give us a little bit of a break? We've got yeah, very we busy lives mm-hmm. in isolation." Yeah, maybe we'll get him on the podcast. <sighs> you know, I've thought about it. I just. I don't think the time's right. I don't know if he's insightful enough. No. This is yeah. this is some high caliber podcastery. <laughs> and we just can't Hey, I just looked up and uh story by Robert McKee is up on my <laughs> in my recording room here. There it is. Just the sleeve though. The cover. Is it called a sleeve? I don't know. If if it's from the hardcover. Yes, yeah. it is, yeah. That's right. The hardcover's at my office. It, can't go there. So you you keep that there as like a show for when people are around like, oh, yes, I've read this book. Yeah, yeah it is actually my only book that's a show book right now. But I've been meaning to bring <laughs> I've been re- meaning to bring in my other books on uh, writing into the office just so they can be there. See, if I have if I have hardcover books and I lend them out, which I very rarely do, mm. I'll take the sleeve off so that the sleeve will stay in the position of the where it sits on the bookshelf. That way I know when that book is out. See, I... But also that way at least the cover is going to stay in good condition. <laughs> it's your library check it, checking system. 
Yes. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't lend books out very often. I'm not a fan of it. I've Me had either. they never come back. Uh it's so painful. I, yeah. I've uh but yes, I, I usually I don't like sleeves though. I really don't like hardcovers because of the sleeves. I usually dispose well, I don't dispose of them, but I have a stack of sleeves um for books and I, I just I like the hardcover the in and of itself. I don't yeah, I like the hardcover, but whenever I'm reading one, I take the sleeve off. Yeah, oh, same here. But I, I, I never yeah. put oh, the I'll sleeve put back, back on, on when I'm done. With I don't it. put it back on. Oh, you don't. That's the thing. Wow. I just don't. I don't care. I don't want it. Look My John Cleese hardcover is still sleeveless. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few other ones on my shelf I can't that don't come to mind. I like hardcovers that have designs on them and don't have a sleeve. I have the uh, Penguin Galaxy collectors editions of uh, sci-fi oh, yeah. books, and they're, yeah, yeah. they're nice. Those are pretty nice. Have you seen them? Yeah. Um. Yes, I have. They're there's a there's a book. I forget the name of it right now. There's a really cool book website. You can go and order these special design hardcover books. With like they're all very artistic and really expensive. So it's like you know like. I don't know, it'd be like eighty dollars for a book or two hundred bucks for a book. Let's figure out the name of it. I'll let you know. Yeah. Well, I I would love to see that. Yeah. I have every book in that series except for one, the Once and Future King. I'm really but really upset about that. Uh, obviously, is it a King Arthur series? Uh, I it is based on because that's Arthur. where that phrase comes from. Yeah. I I be, I can't. I actually don't remember exactly. Uh, it's it's a it's written by T. H. White, but it's essentially it's based on King Arthur in some way, shape, or form. Right. I I think it's okay. a, his it, yeah it's done in his own style or his own version. Kind of yeah. kind of like a, I guess a. What would it be, J. R. Tolkien, Beowulf kind of thing nice he did do a beowulf didn't he a translation yes, of it yeah yeah that's right have you read that i have a great uh the tolkien's beowulf yeah no i have um i have one by somebody else uh it might be on my bookshelf downstairs but um i just recently read a really good tolkien biography it's written in the 70s i think before and he actually interviewed Tolkien before he died. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I got it in New Zealand at Hobbiton. Oh, appropriate. Yep. So you know it's good. That is good. I need to get uh, the Once in Future King. I don't know what it's. I don't know what the whole story is. That's the thing. I don't have it. So I don't. I don't know. Somebody out there is really knocking their head against the wall right now. I, I wanted the other books though. <laughs> I was Dune was great. Have you read Dune? No, I haven't. Dune is being made into a, a movie uh, again. Is it not already a movie? No, it, it yeah, was. Okay. It's uh, it's on Netflix. It's terrible. It's widely considered uh, a a like a. I don't know if this is. I don't want. I don't want to judge it too hard, but kind of one of those bad loved films. Not like the room. Like the room. Not like that, but it's pretty bad, but people still appreciate it. The thing about Dune is, and is when it comes out, we should definitely review it on this podcast, is they say it's the unmakeable movie. Because right. the So I should read the book first. Then. You should definitely read the book first. And I, lo- I, 
I, I honestly can't stand reading books having seen the film first because I do not like visualizing yeah, no, somebody else's yep. idea of nope. what the character is supposed to look like. But yeah. Dune is, uh, and I had not watched the movie. I, there's a TV series as well that people consider as a better, um, uh, a better representation of the book. Hmm. But uh, uh, oh, who was the director of uh, Blade Runner 2049? Denis Villeneuve. That's right. Did we do that on the podcast, Blade Runner? No, we haven't. No. I loved 2049. I just I just watched the original Blade Runner the final cut for the first time all the way through the director's the cut it's called f- the final cut i think i've seen that one too it's an extended uh, edition it's about two hours yeah what'd you think um i w- it was an interesting film i don't know what to make of it all around mm-hmm. but um yeah I- i'm looking forward to watching 2049 though I made sure that I I didn't watch 2049 until I'd seen the the first one. Yeah, I watched uh, the first one first and then went and saw Blade Runner in theaters. I'd actually never seen Blade Runner before. Uh, But I'd I'd fallen asleep through it several times and then I would wake up at the like very sexual parts so i always kept thinking Perfect. like did i just dream about sex robots or something like that <laughs> no no <laughs> you just me. you just know when to wake up dan yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh oh okay uh, sex robots sex. oh good Perfect. <laughs> i thought i i liked blade running t- blade blade runner 2049 i thought it was good was interesting. Yeah, maybe we could um maybe we should do both of them in one episode. I actually I've like 20 Blade Runner the original and I watched the extended cut. I think it's called the, the same one you watched. I didn't yeah. mind it. I just did find it very slow and uh mm. but I also It's slower than you'd think. Yeah, it's a lot slower than I thought it was going to be. And that was kind of what surprised me, but I do love what it's accomplished visually like i really enjoyed yeah oh yeah i i really enjoyed watching it from that perspective and i've always wanted to kind of watch it again to like just like prepare myself for the pace um and Mm. watch it with a little bit more of a keen eye um yeah but yeah it was a it was a good film Uh, i didn't mind it but i did enjoy 2049 a lot and it's a it's a really beautiful like film like 2049 yeah that's it's so cool yeah. and that's why i'm so excited yeah. about dune because when i was watching that i was like this feels like this feels like the style i would like to watch dune in <laughs> and then i found out that it was the same director i was like well right. there we go perfect at least somebody's yeah. on that same page so we'll see if it's a success. that guy's so good i really like him yeah i the the practical effects mixed with the, i love directors that go practical and cg yeah. like it's so cool it, you just it works so much better. Yeah. Anyways, those are movies for the future. Jojo, what would you give it as a score out of 10? Oh, I really love this film. Um, it's hilarious. It was poignant. Did a great job. I can't really fault it, honestly. i give it a 10. That's very fair. I would give it a 10, too. To to take that subject matter and do what they did with it, 
I mm-hmm. and I like it, it would have either been a hit or a miss, and if and you have to hand it to them, they did a good job. Yeah. So Taika Waititi, man, it's funny because I just recently rewatched Thor Ragnarok as well. Mm. And man, he's so good. It's he just re- he really just weaves in his comedy, and but keeps the heart of the film so solid. Yeah, that's the that's the cool thing about him, and it's just. It's so Kiwi too, and I love Kiwi yeah. humor. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I just think it's so. Yeah, it's so refreshing to see that style of humor because I've always related to that and enjoyed it, more so. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's just kind of the perfect balance. Like I said, like of ridiculous slapsticky stuff. It's not too far, but then it also just is like very fun and dry and silly. All yeah, at once. I mean, there's a. There's a Monty Python-esque aspect to the comedy in that it's like, it's so silly, mm. right? And that's what's so fun about it. It's like, you you can see how much fun he is having as a director while he's working and making these stories. It's very authentic comedy. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice mm-hmm. to see that coming out in Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the, it's cool that just what he's done is gained traction. Like uh, Hunt for the Wilder People got a lot of exposure uh, yeah. And and like that was a very funny movie, but also ha- heartfelt. He's really good at weaving in, like you said, comedy with emotion. Uh, it, yeah. So it's it's not without heart, which is so good. Yeah, because if you look at former comedies, you know, like Anchorman, as funny as it is, there's not really that much heart to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I, I, I maybe I take that back because it is really going after. Um, chauvinism and sexism in a lot of ways. Yeah, totally. That's like, not. Yeah, um, that's true. Like it. It. But it, then it's, again, it's not without its its purpose. You know. No. But it's so fun and silly while it's doing it. Yeah, it's and it, that's definitely more the emphasis. Whereas yeah. this has its. Yeah. It has its peaks mm-hmm. of comedy and its valleys of emotion and. Yeah. That's what's really interesting about this. But like it's. Yeah. Like hot shots. That's not really about anything. No, it's comedy for the sake of comedy. Yeah. Every yeah. scene is the, to to deliver a joke, and the story is usually just so cliche that it's a joke in and mm-hmm. of in and of itself that the film even is made. Yeah, I guess it, obviously the difference between spoof and satire. Yeah, and this is this is kind of an interesting approach to comedy because I comedy for so long has gone into this, and that's why I kind of liked. Um, the appearance of uh <laughs> again names uh, Sam Rockwell No not Sam Rockwell <laughs> Sam Rockwell No I know Scarlett Sam Johansson Ro- No not Scarlett Johansson River Wilson Yes Yes <laughs> just for our audience I don't care about actors celebrities whatsoever and maybe you can make fun of me and say you don't care about film at all but that's not true um this uh (laughs) this uh that's what i liked about uh her being in the film is because there's this there's there was so long this skew towards comedies that's just like so just dirty and Mm -hmm. just like it's about edge and yeah the this is the type of comedy i just really enjoy because it's like there's an edge to it because of the subject matter i guess but in general like it's just this very like even to have her in the film and just like she's authentically funny uh in in and she's an actress that's not generally like in films like 
uh, that well the comedy style is not generally like this it's just she's a she's a very funny actress and and yeah. you know that and you get that from this film like deliveries are fantastic across the board too though like all the actors are just it's clearly a great script that just uses comedy in a way that just works it's just it is comedy yeah. like well done well thought out but also just like yeah it's just playful at the same time and uh it's nice mm-hmm. to see comedies becoming more clever as opposed to like the hangovers um because somebody yeah. who writes like for <laughs> anything like in that style could not deal with this subject matter and that's why i think it's so nice to have like this style finally yeah, becoming absolutely. popular again yeah i mean like it's it's so clever yeah it's it's thoughtful and it yeah very cool. So tens across the board. Yeah. Very nice. And I think Alex loves it too. <laughs> well, I I think I can speak for Alex as well and say that he probably loved oh, it. Okay, I uh I love it, man. I think it's a ten as well. Okay. <laughs> that actually does sound. Like, oh, thank you, Alex. Just like the, appreciate that. It was more the tone that that it's that. Uh, I was thinking that earlier. The absence of Alex. There's like this deepness this kind of like lower tone that lacks and also the echo of his living room. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is kind of like this uh, uh. ethereal <laughs> kind of voice in our, in our uh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Oh. Because of the living room, <laughs> not just because of his voice. Yeah. Uh, everything. It's all good. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll see you later, my friends, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. I always base Alex on his tone of voice and Tony Montana. Tony Montana. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because so that, that was how I learned uh, any sort of Spanish accent was doing Scarface. But then I met Alex and I started picking up some of the Mexican su- subtleties. Got always... yeah. Of course, his individual peculiarities, too. Mm. He definitely has yeah. his own, and that's yeah. why we love Alex. I miss Alex. So it's kind of, yeah, my impression has kind of morphed from Tony to Alex to a bit of both. I get that, actually. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I don't know where Tony ends and Alex begins. I don't think he does either. Who, Alex or Tony? <laughs> Who are we Alex. talking about right now? Yeah. <laughs> They're one and the same. Yeah. <laughs> What's the difference? I don't know who I am. <laughs> I'm like uh uh the character in Tropic Thunder trapped inside all of his characters. Now there's a film that we Robert, should Robert talk Downey about. Jr.'s character. <laughs> oh yeah. That's out on Netflix Great right film. now too. I might just watch that. Yeah. Alright, well, what's our next film then? All right. I don't know, we haven't even discussed that. Well because Alex isn't here. He was trying to make it today. He just couldn't. Uh, I told him he could pick this. Uh, he could pick the next one. But why don't we throw out a few ideas? And let our audience vote. We're both shaking our heads. <laughs> 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 We're not trusting you folks with anything. All two of you, and that's me and Dan, who listen to our own podcast. We're our own biggest right. fans, folks, and it's been a pleasure. <laughs> uh, email As us. Anyone who listens can definitely tell. Yeah. 
<laughs> but seriously, if you uh, did want to email us, if anybody's out there listening during this pandemic, because maybe the Joe Rogan experience just isn't working for you right now, or you've, you're all caught up, or serial, um, you've listened to that too many times. Oh, uh, I just said serial and Siri on my phone turned on. That's creepy. Ooh, big brother mm-hmm. listening in. Yeah. We're going to be starting our a new podcast about conspiracies. That's right. And we'll base all of it starting with George Orwell's 1984. Oh, that would be kind of cool. That would be fun. Yeah. Let's think about that. I think about that all the time. Just that podcast or 1984? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think about the book. I just think about another podcast where I can get the sound of my voice out there. Oh, that's nice. I don't think about the book either. <laughs> I just think about the year, 1984. So much happened. It's a great year. Yeah. Four years before we all existed. Mm-hmm. That's the way I like it. <laughs> anyway, let's wrap this up. <laughs> I think we already wrapped it up. <laughs> we could technically cut this wherever. Anyways, cue the music. Right. Thanks a lot for having us, folks, into your ears, wherever you are. Uh, that sounded weird, but hey, we're all a little weird. All right. Well, we'll be back. <laughs>